0: Last week, I spoke about the importance of developing mature habits as part of our journey toward becoming, as we've been saying for a few weeks now, fully mature. Mature habits, what do I mean by that? Well, I told you, I mean the kind of regular disciplines that help us develop spiritual maturity. And the Bible warns against the dangers of failing to develop mature habits. That's what I talked about last week. Today, what I want to do is just kind of flip the coin. Instead of focusing on the warnings for those who ignore the process of developing mature habits, I I want to flip the coin. Look at the other side. I want to show you what the Bible has to say about the blessings we reap as we do develop mature habits. And in order to do that, we're going to take a look at an event in the life and the ministry of Jesus. The first year or two of Jesus's public ministry was marked by a lot of popularity and relatively little opposition. This was the time when when Jesus would, would draw big crowds, going out to hear Jesus speak. If he came into town, going to hear him was was the fashionable thing to do. He had a lot of fans. There were plenty of people who would gladly cheer for him. They would say all sorts of flattering things about him when he came into town. But Jesus knew that in many cases, their words were empty. And so the Gospel of Luke records him saying this. I'm going to read to you just three verses from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Jesus asked the crowds, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck the house and could not shake it, because it was well built." If you're familiar with this passage of scripture, you'll know that he goes on in his metaphor, but we're just going to go only that far today and and consider this description he gives us of the one who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. Doesn't just hear him and say, "Yep, good job, thumbs up, like, no. The one who actually puts those words into practice. The one who does what Jesus says. This is his picture. He says, you're like a man who built a house and dug down deep, made a good foundation for their home. So that when the rain, when the floods, when the torrent came, the house stood because, and I like the way he puts it, it was well built. Well built. I read this week from a. A research study done by the Pew Research Group in 2022. So this is just one year old. This data is just one year old. According to this research study, 69% of U.S. adults say that it is very, emphasis on very, very important to vote in elections in order to be a good member of society. Let me give you kind of a broader understanding of how the, the study worked. They gave people choices and asked them, you know, check which one matches how you feel when it comes to being an important, uh, a good member of society. Is it very important to vote in your elections? Is it, is it a little important? Is it, is it eh, not all that important? Or is it not important at all? And 69% of US adults surveyed indicated that voting in elections wasn't just a little bit important. They went all the way to the top. They said, it's very important to vote in elections. 69% of of U.S. adults. That was just a year ago. You may recall that in 2022, we had midterm elections. Pew Research, the very same outfit, did a survey on our midterm elections and found that only 45% of eligible voters actually voted that year. Isn't that amazing? 69% of people said it's not just a little important, it is extremely important, it's very important. In that very year, only 45%, less than half, actually participated in the thing that we all said was very, very important to do. Why the gap? Why the gap? Uh, Statisticians call it response bias. It's one of those things that makes survey results so hard to interpret. It's one of those things that drives politicians and their supporters crazy. The fact is people have a habit of saying one thing but doing another. And sometimes that happens because we bow to the social pressure of saying that things are important but following through with what we've said is is problematic or inconvenient or not really at the heart of what we truly, truly believe. And here's the thing. Jesus knows that about us. He knows that it's relatively easy to get people to say something, but he also knows this. He knows that habits reveal deeper truth than words do. Saying something, you know, that's one thing, but Habits, that reveals a a deeper truth. Habits reveal deeper truth than words do. Jesus' own words expose the hypocrisy of claiming belief without developing mature habits. Uh, He says, y'all have been calling me Lord. That's what he said in the verses we read, right? He says, y'all have been saying, Lord, Lord, when I pass by. Jesus had not explicitly told that crowd, um, you know, if... If it's okay with y'all, I, I appreciate it if you just referred to me as Lord. Could we do that? Could we do that? Should I consider that as pastor here? Heretofore instead of pastor day or day. Would, would you mind just calling me Lord? Everybody okay with that? Sue? Jesus hadn't asked them that. They, they had taken on that moniker them, themselves. And he says, look, I need to point something out here. I've been here preaching all afternoon, and you all say, oh, Lord, 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 how come you call me Lord? Now, Lord, what does Lord mean? Lord means I'm the master. Lord means I'm in charge. Lord means I'm sovereign. We do what I want, not what you want. That's what the word Lord means. So how come you all call me Lord and nobody's doing what I said? There's a little hypocrisy in that, isn't there? There's a little, there's a little response bias in that we see that gap in between what we say and what we do. Now remember Jesus is a popular figure at this point. It wouldn't always be that way, but at this moment in history, in his ministry, in many circles, hanging out with Jesus was very much in vogue. He was a curiosity, he was a novelty in events like the one where he spoke these words, they were trendy. It was a place to be seen. It wasn't hard to find folks who were eager to verbalize their support for Jesus, but Jesus is trying to show us there is something deeper, there is something more profound than just verbalizing our support. There's a deeper truth that we can experience, and it comes only through the formation of mature habits. Uh, uh. I, I kinda wanna highlight something Uh, that might sound a little bit odd to you if you've never really considered it before. In the religious tradition, in traditions such as our own, we tend to put a whole lot of emphasis on the things that we believe and the things that we say. Let me give you a few examples. We talk about being saved when you believe in Jesus. We talk about making a verbal confession of faith, which means say the right things about your belief. If we have a church service and there's an altar call at the end, you might come forward and meet somebody at the altar who will say, do you want to become a Christian today? If you do, repeat these words after me or say this prayer and you can become A Christian, a lot of emphasis on what we say and what we believe. Now, most of those things are are, are fine, and I don't mean to suggest that they're harmful in and of themselves, but it is worth recognizing that that's not how Jesus typically talked about the change that occurs. When we come to faith in him, because his classic call was not believe me or agree with me or repeat after me. No, Jesus said, follow me. That's what Jesus said. He said, follow me. In other words, Jesus said, go where I go and do what I do and make mature habits out of living the way that I have lived. About 25 years later, Jesus's earthly brother, James, would put it this way. He would write, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, Does this mean that what we say or or what we believe is is irrelevant, that that all religion is equally valid because it's nothing more than the particular flavor or window dressing that we put over our good deeds? Does this mean that being a good person is all that actually matters to God? Well, of, of course not. As we talked about a few weeks ago, the development of accurate theology as we grow into mature minds is a very, very important thing. It's just that it's not the only thing. Good theology on its own cannot make us fully mature. And Jesus is saying there's a blessing in living a life that is committed to digging down deeper, in not merely being a fan, but being a follower. There's a blessing in fostering the mature habits that Jesus demonstrated for those who would follow him. And the challenge, of course, is that developing those kinds of mature habits is, is a difficult process. It requires a lot of hard work. We talked about that last week, but as I've said, this week is, is for the encouragement. Are you ready for the encouragement? There there were more people to hear the discouragement last week. I, I think I scared them off, but <laughs> you, the faithful, the remnant, have returned to hear the encouragement. Are you ready? Because here it is, here's the encouragement. We weren't meant to be giants of the faith in just one day. Can everybody just relax for a moment? You weren't meant to be a giant of the faith in one day. Our greatest achievements in the kingdom of God, they take a lifetime, not an afternoon. And in order to build something great with our lives, we have to begin by addressing just the little things, the little things. There's a starting point here, and and Jesus gives that to us. My father-in-law had an office in downtown Chicago where he worked in the 1970s, and he used to tell us that from the vantage point in his office window, he was able to watch the construction of the Sears Tower from, from beginning to end. The Sears Tower, uh, they began construction in, in August of 1970. But for 10 months, all work was done below ground. 10 months, the first 10 months of construction, everything took place below ground level. As a matter of fact, the first beam above ground level wasn't put into place until June of 1971. And so what that means is that the structure that would become the world's tallest building wasn't even a foot high for nearly a year. Isn't that interesting? Imagine imagine you had the opportunity to visit the construction site during that time. Imagine you had heard that engineers in Chicago were building what would become the world's greatest, tallest building. Imagine that you knew that it wasn't yet complete, but this was the goal. This was the vision. This building is going to be the biggest building on the planet, the tallest building on the planet, and they have been working at it already for six months. Or for nine months, imagine what you would have thought about or what you would have expected that to look like. Now imagine you arrive at the construction site. Now imagine your disappointment when you find out that the whole thing is still no taller than you are. Jesus' audience had no reference point for the Sears Tower or construction of skyscrapers in general, but Jesus' story essentially paints them the same picture. The man who wanted to build a great house had to begin by digging deeply into the ground. Growing up requires digging deep. The things that measure biggest and most impressive in our eyes, these things get their start as nothing more than a relatively small mound of dirt next to an unimpressive hole in the ground. Maybe this is a better way of putting it. Big victories must begin much smaller. Big victories must begin much smaller. One of the most famous stories in the Bible is the account of David's battle with Goliath. David's probably no more than 15 years old when the battle takes place. And his only real world experience at that moment is as a shepherd, which doesn't seem to be terribly relevant for battling to the death with a trained warrior more than twice your size. You know, hey, no problem here, folks. I used to take care of sheep. But David feels like his experience is relevant. As a shepherd, he had no doubt spent countless nights out in the field with the flocks, and he calls upon that experience as he prepares to fight Goliath. In first Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. David, preparing for this battle with Goliath, says this. He says, When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, I struck it, and I killed both the lion and the bear. And now this Philistine is gonna be like like one of them. He goes on to say, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, David was confident about facing a great warrior because he had already faced a lion and a bear. And we can presume that before he had faced the lion and the bear, there had been coyotes, there had been foxes, there had been rabbits, and maybe even a few particularly brash ground squirrels. David had started small and that's what gave him his confidence to move on. Folks, some of the classic Christian disciplines, the mature habits that we ought to be fostering, things like a daily prayer habit, the rhythm of coming together as we have today and worshiping in community, a commitment to sacrificial and regular giving or the discipline of occasionally giving up food in favor of spending time in God's presence. These things aren't flashy for the most part. They might not seem to matter on their own. In the grand scheme of life, these are small things. They don't seem to have the potential to change the world. They are no more than rabbits and foxes with maybe the occasional bear or lion mixed in here and there. But what we don't always realize is that they are preparing us for the giants that we can't yet see. They are preparing us for the battles that we don't even know are coming. They are the small things that pave the way to much greater victories. And those who have been faithful in developing mature habits need not be afraid when giants come calling. That's my favorite line that I wrote in my notes today. Can I I say it one more time? Because I want that. Woody, we're going to edit this out and post. We're going to put it on Twitter. We're going to do everything. Okay, are you ready? And scene. Those who have been faithful in developing mature habits need not fear when giants come calling. And that's because mature habits fill us with great strength. A mature habit a series of mature habits, a lifestyle committed to fostering mature habits, this is gonna fill you with great strength. The story that Jesus told us said that the torrent that struck that house could not shake it. And we ask the question, well, why not? And he says, because it was well-built. It was filled with great strength. The blessing of strength was a direct result of the builder's great discipline in construction. I had a dentist appointment this week. Yeah, I did, I did, I did. It was a fun time. I had no cavities, I had no problems. Actually, it was uncomfortable. It was fairly uncomfortable and I'll tell you why. Uh, The the polisher that they use on your teeth, you know, you get to pick your flavor and then they use that that polisher. Um, It tickles my mustache. and so the the dental assistant was was polishing me up and i'm lying in the chair and my legs kind of going you know (laughs) and that was by far the most uncomfortable part of my experience at the dentist office this week i know that most people i shouldn't say most some people get nervous about dentist appointments but i actually really really truly enjoy going to the dentist and that's because i have the best dentist in the world Yeah. Yeah, I do. She's awesome. And I hear her husband is capable. Um, So if you're looking for a dentist, you can talk to either one of them. Uh, Later that evening, after my my dentist appointment with Dr. Brammeyer, I sent Lauren a text telling her, and this the truth. Her staff is incredible. When you go to her office, her entire staff is incredible. They're just great. And I sent her a text saying, hey, kudos to your staff. They just always do a fantastic job. And then as a joke, I told her in a second text, I said, you know, the thing is, my teeth are now so clean that I'm confident I don't need to brush them again until I see you in six months. (laughs) That's how clean my teeth are now. And a few minutes later, I got a response from Lauren, and I won't repeat to you what she said, but it, it was clear that she did not agree with my plan. <laughs> she did not agree. I felt like, hey, my teeth are awesome now. I need no more help. I got an appointment on the book six months from now. I'll be back, they'll be tickling my mustache again, but this is, I'm, I'm in such good shape that I don't even have to worry about brushing and flossing. Apparently, my dentist does not agree with that hypothesis. I was, of course, just kidding around with her, but it occurred to me later that the joke I made about my dental hygiene reflects the way a lot of people seem to think about their own spiritual health. We have this tendency sometimes to say, you know, somebody helped me or somebody blessed me so much today that I don't really need to work at this thing myself anymore. That seems to be how the people that Jesus was addressing that day felt. And I see ways in which many of us still tend to fall into the same trap. We say, oh man, the sermon. Whew! Sermon was amazing. I mean, not at this church, but I've heard that happens in other places. We say, Well, that retreat. I went on, man, that was powerful. It was life-changing. We say that worship service was so dynamic. And then we get into this habit where we chase down spiritual high points, trusting that each experience is gonna give us just enough fuel to get through to the next one. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's obviously nothing wrong with being hungry for more of God's presence, but every once in a while I feel like I've met someone who isn't nearly as passionate about God's presence as they're passionate for the next seminar, or the next mission trip, or the next concert, or the next retreat, or the next revival. They spend their lives chasing spiritual highs instead of developing real maturity for themselves. And there are several problems with that. The first is that like a drug, we tend to build up a tolerance over time. Over time, the sermons and the retreats and the songs become less and less dynamic. They don't last us as long. We need more. We need more. We need more. We need more than what they can give. Another problem is that it makes our relationship with God one of consumerism. We've talked about that in connection with maturity already. But here it is again. We have this relationship with God where all I do is I I feed, I feed, I feed off of what I get instead of actually developing the maturity it takes to contribute to my own growth process and contribute to the spiritual health of other people. We kind of miss that part. But you know what the biggest problem is? The biggest problem is that people who pursue that path, they forfeited. They forfeited the blessing and the strength that only comes through the development of spiritually mature habits. Well, they might look good on the outside. Their spiritual houses appear strong. We see them at every prayer meeting. We see them at every concert. They're always listening to the right podcast. They look the part, they look good, but when the storm comes, they don't have the strength to stand. Remember all the work we did following the life of Daniel this spring? The, the, the iconic moment in Daniel's life, right? the the lion's den he's cast into this lion's den and he spends the night in the den of lions praying and if we went back to that text I would show you but I I, I think all of us if we were cast into a den of lions would, would pray but our prayer would be something like this Jesus help me and we get the sense in the text that that's not how Daniel prayed. We, we get the sense that Daniel was put into the den of lions and he knelt down and he spent time in God's presence. As the angel of the Lord walked around him and shut the mouths of the lions. We get the sense that this, you remember he was about 80 years old at the time. that this. 80, no offense to anybody in the room who's 80. I'm just like, I'm still impressed by that. I'm just saying that this 80-year-old, yeah, I see y'all giggling here. (laughs) That this 80-year-old man was cool as a cucumber. When I was a teenager, the family got together for a reunion out on, uh, my, my grandparents lived on Kentucky Lake. Mom, Aunt Joe, Dane, you were there. Do you guys remember when we rented that pontoon boat and grandpa was in the back of the pontoon boat. My, my grandpa had had a, a tracheotomy, is that what it's called? So he breathed out of a hole in his throat and one of the rules for living with a tracheotomy is don't take a bath. Yeah. And we were on this pontoon boat and grandpa was sitting in the back of it, somewhere near 80 years old at that point, eating an apple. And all of, of the aunts and the uncles and we the grandkids were we're on the boat we're jumping off and swimming and doing all sorts of things. And at one point, and let me just say, this is still a matter of great dispute in, in family lore, but somebody, somebody... Too many somebody's walked to the front of this pontoon boat, and in the front of it dipped down, and you could almost hear the old siren from the submarine movie. Rawr, 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 dive, 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 and the whole front of the boat just started to plane under the water. And here's Grandpa in the back of the boat, and we all like and there was this mad dash for the back end, and I think some of the grandkids already abandoned ship, and <laughs> there was a camcorder that was destroyed in the moment, and the end of the story is that the boat did run itself and went back up, but for a second or two there, it looked like we were about to go right down, and Grandpa sat in the back of the boat, eating his apple. <laughs> And when we had studied, somebody said to him, you know, "Dad, I'm sure it was you, Aunt Joanne. Dad, what on earth would we been doing in the back of this boat, eating an apple moments away from your ultimate demise? You know, we're in the middle of the lake. There's going to be no saving the man if we go down, right?" And he said, "Well, it was a really good apple, <laughs> <laughs> and I figured if this was it, I'd, I'd really like to finish the apple." <laughs> That's my picture of an 80 year old man in the crisis of his life, just cool as a cucumber, right? I don't know if there were any apples in the den of lions, but back to Daniel, 80 years old, hungry lions, a a sentence of execution on his head and he's lowered into the den and he says, you know what? I'm just gonna spend time in God's presence and I'm gonna pray. How? How was he able to do that? It's because before that, before the den of lions was ever even in play or in question, Daniel had the strength to be at peace and to pray from his room when the king said it was illegal. Just to be at peace and to pray. King said it's illegal. King said you're going to be executed if you're found out, but he just knelt in peace and he prayed. How? I'd be a wreck. Well, it's because before that, he had the strength to be at peace and pray when his life was in ruin. Come on, kid, we're dragging you off to Babylon, okay? I'm gonna be at peace and I'm gonna pray about this. How was he able to do that? Well, it's because before that, a little boy back in Jerusalem developed the habit of daily kneeling down, Putting his heart at peace and spending time in the presence of God. Throughout his life, his mature habits, Daniel's mature habits were the vessel that God used to strengthen him. And nothing really changed in the lion's den because nothing needed to change in the lion's den. His strength there in the den was the cumulative effect of all of the mature habits that he had developed throughout his life. I had a good trip to the dentist this week. It's because I brush and I floss my teeth every day. There's no individual act that made my teeth strong. It's not like one day I used the magic toothpaste. No, it's because every day I brush and I floss. It's the cumulative effect of small, consistent disciplines. And with all due respect to Dr. Lauren, it doesn't really matter how good my dentist is. The blessings of strong, healthy teeth are mine because of the habits that I've developed. I hate to say this, but let's apply the lesson. The blessings of a strong spiritual life are not a product of how good your pastor is. It doesn't matter how anointed your worship leader is or what podcast you listen to or what books you read. Those things might bring you occasional moments of encouragement. It's good to go and get a cleaning twice a year, right? We like those things, but that's not what makes you strong. No, The Holy Spirit is working in your life to make you strong through the mature habits that you develop in your own life. Focus on that. And when the torrent strikes, you will not be shaken. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just talked about the work that we expect you to do in our lives. According to the word of God, according to the words of Jesus himself. It's these wise decisions, these mature habits, these good and life-giving disciplines in our life through which you give us the strength to stand when the torrent strikes. I have a deep sense that everybody in this room identifies well with when the torrent strikes. We've all had that experience or those experiences. Some, God, some of us are living through the storm right now. Many of us have the sense that this might not even be the last storm that we'll face because, well, that's how the weather works. The rains come down Flood the waters rise, the wind batters, Jesus you say, well in this world we will have trouble. God what wisdom there is in praying not for an absence of trouble, that which you've already said you're not going to do for us but praying instead that you would give us the discipline to develop the mature habits in our lives through which you can make us strong so that when the storm comes, not if, but we know it, when, when, when the storm comes, it's your strength in us that will allow us to stand. Lord, my prayer is for those who are in the storm right now. All this academic talk sounds good enough, but when you're in the thick of it, well, You're in the thick of it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find shelter in the storm, even as I pray that you would help us to find strength in the storm. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, even if we need to begin now, you would help us to anchor ourselves to the rock, that you would help us dig deep that we might be able to stand tall you would give us, Lord, the grace in finding that good foundation in Jesus. Lord, I pray that the wind and the rain would come to a swift end. But Lord, until it does, we stand on the rock and we trust you for that strength. God, for those of us who might be in a season where actually... Things are going pretty good. I just got out of the dentist's office. She said, my teeth are clean. I don't even have to see her for another six months. Lord, we rejoice in those moments. Thank you for the blessings of good reports. Thank you for the blessings of gentle breezes and smooth sailing in life. Thank you, Lord, for that grace that comes. And it does come. might not always feel like it comes often enough, but it does come. We rejoice in that today. Lord, those are the days not for napping, but those are the days for digging deep. And so help us to see those seasons as an opportunity to grow and to cultivate and to develop the habits that will serve us well when inevitably the storm comes again. Lord, Daniel was Daniel not because in the lives that he made a choice, but because 75 years before that, he learned to kneel down and experience the peace and the presence of God in his life. How well did that serve him again and again and again? Lord, in the same way, how well would it serve us in these days of uh, gentle breezes and warm sunshine? How well would it serve us to learn to seek you as if it were a storm? How well would it serve us to spend time in your word as if it were a storm? How well would it serve us to spend our energy and our efforts pursuing the mature habits that we will need to anchor to when the storm comes? Lord, help us to see that today. And finally, Lord, we just thank you for your strength. Your strength is perfect. It's perfect, without gap, without want, without lack. We thank you for that strength today. We experience it through the words of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray all of those things. And everybody says, amen, amen. Amen. God's blessing be upon you.